Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, September 26th, 2022. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Hey, Alex, how are things going? Very good. Thank you, Graham. Uh, so fall has arrived in Paris. I don't know about you, like if it's cold now in the morning street, but it's starting to get kind of cold here in the morning, like, you know, down into the, you know, low, low teens or even maybe around 10 Celsius or, you know, 45 Fahrenheit. Good sleeping weather. <laughs> yeah, it's great sleep. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, so this is like an exciting time because we've got, obviously, as we've been saying the last few weeks, it's deadline season. But do you want to just take us through what's been going on and, and if there's anything people need to have on their calendars for this week? Yeah, I mean, this week, um, today, Tuck um, and Fuqua, Duke, um, have their round one application deadlines. Okay. Do you remember, Graham? I've, done, I've asked you this before. Um, how, do, how, does, uh, how does the Fuqua school explain to candidates how to pronounce their funky name? I, I remember, but you know that I was actually told, like one time I was doing something with uh, members of their admissions team, like some kind of an event. And luckily it was before we turned everything on, but I was mispronouncing their name because I was saying like, I can't remember how I was pronouncing it, but it wasn't the right way. <laughs> and <laughs> they get, they actually said this, but I, but you can tell us because I, I think it's a fun way to remember it. <laughs> Fuqua, few qualify. Fuqua. There you go. <laughs> Very good. So yeah, today I have is not it, forgotten. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Tok Tok and Fuqua. Um, Wednesday, um, Colombia has its early decision deadline, so that's been sort of rolling on for the last several months. People targeting Colombia's early decision, they need to get their application in, in now by Wednesday. It's also their J term um, deadline. That's that um, program that they have that starts in January that shortens the the. Um, business school experience. Georgetown yep. has its round one deadline on on Wednesday, um, and um, side is Oxford side is releasing its stage one interview invites. And Thursday is Sloan um, for its um, round one and um, deadlines. And perennially, Sloan sort of is at the tail end of the top programs um, round one application data. So when I say top programs, I'm sort of sort of talking about that top 16 sort of group. Yeah. What yeah. we'll see in early October are several um, round one deadlines for that sort of the next um, tiers into that top 25. Yeah, that makes sense. So uh, yeah, so lots going on. And I guess interview invitations are going to start to flow. I mean, yes. some schools give them to everybody like Kellogg, if you apply early enough, they kind of yeah. guarantee you. But yeah. when, like, do you have any idea when Harvard's going to start? I mean, you know, some of these schools now people have applied. It's like two weeks ago at this point, right? Or maybe even a little more. Yeah. And so when when are those interviews coming? Yeah. I mean, what we know about interview invite season um, is is that Yale, as you say, they just started releasing some interview invites. And that surprised a few candidates. But the, the reality is for Yale, as we know, um, from season to season, they will invite a few early birds because they'll just take a quick cut at some of the data and statistics and say, well, that looks like they're going to be good profiles. So let's get them interviewed before we do a deeper dive into the review of the applications. Mm -hmm. um, and then the, the remainder of the interview invites will start sort of trickling out. That's sort of the Yale process. And yeah. um, Kellogg is open invitation basically anyone that applies gets offered an interview invite. Um, I'm not sure about the current sort of virtual interview sort of setting, but in the past when all interviews were in person, the one challenge to Kellogg was if you were in a region that wasn't well represented by alumni interviewers, 
you might get put on a wait list for an interview. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, that's not good. Yeah. For um, so so Kellogg and Tuck for for round one. If you apply round one for Tuck, they will interview invite everyone to interview that does that. So we're starting to see a lot of that activity um, on 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 Livewire. Some of those are, well, they haven't seen Tuck yet because their actual application deadline is not till. Um, today, but we'll we'll, we'll, see, we'll see that more. You asked the question about Harvard, so <laughs> their um, interview um, um, invite date has not yet been published, and this is typical of Harvard. <laughs> Once the round one application deadline has has passed, which it now has it was September seventh, they'll you know obviously start the reading process and review process in in the next week or two. They will put a blog post out there, Chad, Chad Losey, and he will then articulate the remainder of the process, i.e. he will let you, everyone know when that interview invite date will be um, and, and the rest of that sort of interview process. I would speculate it'll be the second week of October. Okay. Um, when they release those interview invites, first or second week of October, Wharton which is a school that does publish its interview invite dates um, ahead of time is October 25th. Okay. And Harvard generally releases their interview invites a couple of weeks ahead of Wharton. Yeah. So that's why I picked that date out of the hat. And that's all I have to offer. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So everyone's on pins and needles. Now they have a little bit of clarity. And I, I think, yeah, I'm guessing first week of October based on historical data. We'll see if it's first or second week. But it, you're right. It'll be a couple of weeks before Wharton. So we'll see on those HBS interview invitations. Uh, Alex, I want to tell you about a way to potentially win a $200 Amazon gift card since I always forget to mention the Amazon gift cards when we promote our little survey. This is like the last chance. I think we're going to pull this survey out of the field in the coming days, but we have a little survey running about basically about business school brands and what people know about schools. So it's a fun survey to take. You don't need any prior knowledge other than being interested in business school uh, to take it. And you just go to bit.ly forward slash MBA brands, all one word, all lowercase. So take the survey and get it in probably this week because I think we're going to pull the survey in a few days. So uh, that's that's that. I guess um, we do have uh, a bunch of things I wanted to mention on the website, although not as much as usual. So we'll get into our candidates shortly. But we did run some real humans pieces. So we have a, a profile of six current HPS first year students which, I mean, they gave really terrific um, answers. We, we just so There's a wealth of information in these real humans, and we have one for Stern as well. Again, six students. So you can read through these candidate profiles and see what they're saying about, like, why did they go to the school, uh, any tips they have for the application process, and also things like, you know, what they're doing on campus or what's the thing that sort of surprised them about the, the program now that they're, you know, there and have been there um, studying for a couple of months or, well, at least a month now, I guess. I think this series is a must read for candidates targeting these programs. Yeah, it's sort of a no brainer. It doesn't take that long either to just skim through, you know, they're all the same questions that we ask people and yeah, great, great fuel for essay writing and getting to know these programs. Uh, the other thing I did want to go through the numbers with you on is we have a school that released their class of 2024 
profile, and that's Kellogg at Northwestern. And so I'll just give you the facts and figures and then ask for your quick thoughts. Um, so with Kellogg, let's see, the incoming class, the average GPA is a 3.7. That's unchanged from last year's profile. They had a 729 average GMAT score. That's up a couple of points from 727. Uh, GRE is a 325. Interestingly enough, last year that was a 327. So down a couple of ticks on the GRE. Uh, women are pretty much the same, 48% instead of 49%. Internationals went up 2% to 38% of the class. And they have about 37% U.S. underrepresented minorities um, amongst, you know, those American students in the program. They did not, at least, I, I mean, I combed their website. I couldn't find anything about application volume. So we don't know. Uh, about, you know, anything about that. And I also didn't see anything about the class size, but I'm assuming the size is probably similar to the past year, but I'm guessing that, you know, application volume, you know, like Wharton, like the other schools must be off anywhere from, you yeah. know, pro probably around 15%, but I don't know. We, we didn't get any data. So what do you think? I, I would I would speculate their app volumes down about 15% based on our conversation last week. Yeah. Um, I, I think that I think I did see in, in a class profile that their, their their class size is the same as last year, which was a drop from the year before. Okay. Um, but what what I'm also seeing and hearing a lot more of across a lot of schools is, you know, the uptick in international students, i.e., only a little bit up to thirty seven percent. Um, is is probably um, more more a symptom of a drop off in domestic student volume rather than a a sudden rise in international student volume. That would be my speculation there. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we'll see. There's still more of these to come, so uh, stay tuned. We'll continue to break them down because I love looking at these. But yeah, yeah numbers are pretty similar. Um, them overall the numbers are similar and very good yeah exactly right? i mean they are m7 numbers yeah. so if you if you replace kellogg with sloan or columbia or or chicago what are you going to see similar. 3 7 yeah. 7 30 <laughs> 729 365 i mean they're all very similar yeah that's fair uh we also did connect with an admissions director that's um taya sap at michigan ross for another admissions director q a so that's up on the site and there's a extra episode of the podcast that we um, aired, I guess it would have been last week at this point. So that should be already in your feed if you're listening to this podcast. Uh, it's an episode I did where I sat down with the dean of the programs there, as well as the director of admissions. And we just talked about the fact that Georgetown has now um, entered the online MBA space, which, you know, there are only a handful of really great MBA programs that are doing those, you know, and one of which is Ross, but there's, you know, Carnegie Mellon, Indiana, um, UNC, I guess Foster, and maybe USC, Marshall. So those are like the top 25 type MBA programs that offer it. So Georgetown's now in that game. Uh, they're in the DC area, which, you know, is a big market. So it just was an interesting conversation about how they made that decision and how they're going to operate it. So one fun fact, Alex, it's only open to people in um, U.S. time zones. Uh, so it's not, you, you can't join the Georgetown MBA online if you're living in China or something. It's really because of the way that they're structuring it, the way they're running it in a kind of, um, I don't know, I can't remember if it's cohorted or not, but there's something about it where, you know, the classes are delivered in a way where you've got to be in the right time zone. So for now, it's sort of a U.S. endeavor only. Um, but anyway, there's more about that on the show and people can listen to that. But I thought that was kind of neat. That's interesting, that U.S. time zone restriction. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other th question I'd ask real quick, Graham, um, 
is how does this then compare or contrast to a program like Wharton that's rolled out that executive MBA online program? Yeah, I guess the main difference is that this is for earlier career folks. So you could, you yeah. don't have to be, um, you know, ten, 10 plus years out into the workforce to yeah. do this. Because yeah. Wharton would be the, 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 the big school in the online business now with that Wharton executive program. Yes, for, right? for an EMBA. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's yeah. a fair point. Yeah. I was talking about, yeah, just yeah. sort of regular old non-executive, yeah, yeah. but yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Um, so, uh, we did an event last week, uh, an essay event with Columbia, Carnegie Mellon, Duke, Texas, and UNC. That was a lot of fun. That was the second in our series. And I'm mentioning it because we have one more event in our fall kind of essay series, and that's this Wednesday at noon Eastern. And I'm going to be welcoming admissions representatives from UCLA Anderson, Dartmouth, INSEAD, LBS, that's London Business School, and Georgetown McDonough. And you can sign up still for that event. I think there's still some spots available by going to bit.ly forward slash clear admit fall, all lowercase, all one word. These have been a lot of fun as they always are. And yeah, there's just one more left. I'm kind of bummed because I, I always like hanging out with the schools and, and putting them on the spot <laughs> about their essay questions. But yeah, so there's one more. Please join us if you can. How, how many did you get to last week's session? Uh, I can't. Well, it was several hundred, right? I, I have to, I, I got to go back into Slack and look, but yeah, it was, there were a lot of people um, and it was a really yeah. active session and yeah, it was fun. Um, I, I just, yeah, no, yeah. no doubt. The, yeah. These are really good events and, I, and well yeah. done yeah. To, to, to the team for, for making this happen. I got a chance to, I, I was throwing some fun stuff and Columbia has this essay question about, tell us about a book or a film or TV show or song or, you know, that something that you've enjoyed um, and why it's meaningful to you or whatever. And so I actually asked all the admissions representatives that were in the session to deliver um, an answer to that question live in the session. So put them on the spot a little bit, but that was kind of fun. And um, Any books you'd read? You know what's funny? I don't think any of them recommended a book. They all went with either music or films or, or actually TV series. So it was kind of interesting because I had asked them the question. Seinfeld? Yeah. No. <laughs> Somebody mentioned a show called Industry that I've never heard of, but that sounded maybe potentially of interest to people who are business people and stuff. But I don't know if you've... Huh. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, there you have it. Should we get into our <laughs> candidates this week? Because I know we have three profiles that you Let's pulled. Let's kick off. All right. So yeah. this, <laughs> this is Wiretap's candidate number one. So our first candidate this week has five schools on the target list, and they want to attend next fall. Uh, the schools are Boston College, uh, Duke Fuqua, <laughs> IE in Spain, uh, NYU Stern, and UCLA Anderson. Uh, this person has been working in banking and wants to get into consulting or maybe banking. They seem to have both on the post-MBA career list for some reason. And the target companies are Accenture, Bain, Deloitte, KPMG, McKinsey, and then a bunch of banks, Merrill, Morgan Stanley, JP Morgan. Uh, GPA is a 3.75. This person has 15 years of work experience and they're located in Pakistan. They would like to um, land in banking. I think I mentioned this, they're, they're thinking about banking or consulting afterwards. Um, that's listed twice here for some reason, so excuse my <laughs> repeating it. Um, they did say that they're just at this point in their career where they want to get an international qualification to kind of give them, to sort of accelerate things. And they've had a diversified set of experiences in corporate finance and advisory for, as I said, like 15 years now. Um, and they did well in undergrad. They haven't taken a test yet, but they're um, working on that and plan to take one. So I'm guessing this is a round two 
candidate. So you exchanged with them though, Alex. I mean, what do you make of this? So Pakistani candidate, older, they must be 35, and they've got kind of five full-time MBA programs on their list ranging in, you know, admissions difficulty. But what do you make of this? Yeah, I mean, the reason why I selected this um, profile is it is different. Um, this yeah. person is going to have to you know, overcome quite a few challenges, actually, to show that they fit in a top-tier um, MBA program. And that's despite the fact that they've probably got some quite interesting work experience and done very well at work. They're a department head for the northern region, for, for their bank in, in Pakistan or something, you know, something like that, right? So no doubt they've done very well. But, you know, the challenge will be that, you know, if, if, if they submit an application to, to a top-tier program, you know, the, the ad column are going to be like, oh, well, well, what are we going to do with this guy or yeah. this person, right? Um, you know, are we going to be able to place them effectively um, and, and so on and so forth? Um, firstly, they're going to have to um, take the GMAT or the GRE, preferably the GMAT, I think, in this case. Yeah. Um, they've, they've got a, a 375 GPA. They're obviously doing very well at work. So I assume that if they prep really, really, really well, which is what they're going to have to do, um, they'll do very well on the test score. So that would be very good. Um, and, and helpful. Um, we don't know anything about their outside of work interests and activities. Um, I assume work's actually quite a, a big deal for them. They might also be, you know, maybe they've got family obligations and commitments at this stage of their life um, that, that, that needs to be factored in. Well, they mentioned, they actually mentioned a good old something. I think at the very end of their post, they said, I mean, they didn't give us a lot, but they did say they're associated with diverse local clubs, societies, and philanthropic work, including earthquake yeah. and flood relief. So I guess they're doing something. So, yeah. so that's that's all very important. And yeah, for Pakistan, yeah, geez, obviously yeah. the very sad sort of situation with 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 their flooding more recently. Um, they're, they're, they've been involved in that. So, um, but but basically, they already have a, a, an MBA. Oh, yeah, that's so the other that's thing. A challenge yeah, I, too, I didn't I didn't mention right? that. Yeah, they have an MBA yeah. back from tw- two thousand and seven, but in a from a yeah. local school in Pakistan, right? Yeah. So basically, what they did, as far as I, you know, according to my maths anyway, is when they graduated undergrad, they went straight into an MBA, which was probably a, a fairly decent learning experience to set them up for their first job. But as we know, you know, top tier MBA, you, you're much better off. You get much more out of it if you work for four or five years. Then the opportunities are much greater afterwards and so on and so forth than, than getting a more localized MBA straight out of undergrad, which seems like this person has done. So they're going to have to justify getting a second MBA in their, in, their, in their MBA application. So that might be that they use the optional essay to address that particular point. But the larger point that they're going to have to really nail down is how they, you know, they're fit for the programs that they're applying. You know, they're 10 years built beyond the median, right. um, at, you know, length of work experience. So, you know, they're going to have a whole set of experiences just at a different level than, than the, the top students in some of these top programs. So. That fit issue, I think, is going to be tricky. And then the recruiting end, you know, um, and, and, you know, the, 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 career, the career side, are they going to be able to place a candidate with this type of experience in these sort of post-MBA roles they're typically placing them in? That also is going to be a bit of a challenge because it looks like this candidate wants to use the MBA 
um, to, to get an experience post-MBA in the United States, um, or maybe in Europe too, because they've got, they got your, a European business school listed, uh, but outside of Pakistan. Yeah, the, yeah, um, yeah, it's tricky. So there are a lot of challenges, Graham. And the reason why I picked this person is to, you know, we don't often get candidates with this type of profile to, to sort of highlight some of these sort of type, you know, these types of challenges. Yeah, I think, so I, for me, there, there are a few different ones, right? There's, um, they're older, so they got to get a high test score to show that they're academically ready and, and committed, right? Uh, and I agree, probably take the GMAT because that's the sort of regular business school test. I mean, that, that would just be yeah. a smart move, I think. Um, the second thing, though, is that, you know, they're, I'm worried about, so they have an MBA and that's always a concern, right? Any, any business school will tell you, well, if you already have an MBA, you know, that's like another hurdle to overcome. And so what they're going to need to do in the application is explain that while they have the MBA, it's a pre-experience MBA in their home country and that they've learned a ton in the workplace and would love to bring that, those experiences into the classroom in, in, you know, at the top of the kind of MBA learning curve at a top, you know, kind of program. And that that's going to be a really different experience post post having worked, right? So that's good. I do think that they're going to be better off accelerating a career, uh, making it more international, et cetera, than they would be pivoting. So for example, I think it's going to be harder for them to make the case after 15 years in banking and finance to go uh, work at McKinsey or something. I just, I just think that's going to be a harder sell. Uh, so if, if there were a kind of, I don't know, something that could tap into their experience to date, that might be, I mean, I, I think there's certain firms, some of the sort of more audit and advisory type, you know, big four type firms, maybe there's a senior role for them in that domain or something. But I, I would just be careful about trying to do a wholesale switch. Um, and then the last thing I would say is I just wish that they had applied in the first round because um, they're from Pakistan, which sometimes gets lumped in with India, even though I recognize those two countries are very different. It's just um, from the admission standpoint, there are plenty of candidates from both markets typically. And so they're a little bit potentially overrepresented as well. So, yeah, it's an uphill battle, but they have a wide range of schools on the list. You know, they have Boston yeah. College and they've got NYU Stern. So there's a there's a range of programs and IE and Spain. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to figure out how that one fits in, like, because if they want to go work in the States, that's, you know, maybe not the best choice. But if they want to work in Spain or in Europe, maybe it's fine. Um, but that's another challenge, the whole immigration challenge. So there's there's a lot going on here. But I think, I mean, with a top test score and with the right approach to the essays and things, it's not out of this, you know, it's not out of the question. I think there are some schools that'll take the occasional 35-year-old, as we've said before, so... Yeah. Now, when when you're at Wharton, Graham, how many of your classmates would would be 35 or older? Um, could count them probably on one hand, maybe two. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, and that we were a class of 700 plus students, I think, at the time, and so yeah, yeah there's like you know 10 kids in the class that are older. So, so it's important to to be realistic. Also recognizing there wouldn't have been a lot of candidates applying that would be 35 years or older either. Sure, so it's sure. not like the admit rate might have been like minuscule. <laughs> there right. are just not that many folks like this 
that are targeting top tier MBA programs, or willing which sort to of take, reinforces yeah. the idea that they've got to do a great job of showing why this really makes sense for them. Yeah. Cause it's rare for someone to take two years off when they're at that yeah. stage of their career. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. all right. Well, I want to thank that person for sharing. Hopefully the insights that we've shared are helpful as they embark on this, on this journey. Uh, but let's move on Alex and talk about wiretaps candidate number two. So this is another apply wire entry that you picked Alex and this candidate's got six schools on the target list and they are Cornell, Dartmouth, Duke, Harvard, MIT, and Yale. Uh, This candidate wants to start next fall. Uh, They're currently working as an engineer. They'd love to get into tech. GMAT score is 760, GPA 3.5, four years of work experience to date, as I said, uh, in engineering. They're located in the US and they would love to land in the Northeast or New England which is why you see a lot of you know, New England-based schools on their target list. Uh, they indicate that they're currently a software engineering lead with some leadership experience both at work and as a part of their extracurriculars. Uh, they mentioned that their personal hobbies are very much centered around outdoor activities. So that's what we've got. Uh, Alex, you kind of exchanged with this candidate. So what, what do you have to say here? Yeah, I mean, we don't have a lot of... of information about this profile but what we do have says that this is probably a very strong profile right mm-hmm. you know 760 gmat um three five might not be outstanding but it's probably it's going to be in an engineering degree um so it, i'm sure it'll be perfectly fine they're a software engineering lead so they presumably that gives them that sort of impact and growth at work that's really super important and they say they have leadership in both at work and as part of their extracurriculars. So that is, is another sort of checkbox. Um, they love the outdoors. That's, that's, you know, I'm not saying neither here nor there, but that's, that's probably a little bit of an, an addition too. So there's lot, lots to, 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 to like here. Um, they, their sort of um, target schools was, was, I'm not saying puzzling to me, but but left a bit of room, for, I think, for 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 for, for change um, in round two. So, you know, they, they've applied to Harvard and Sloan. I, I think they applied to Harvard and Sloan in round one, um, and and then the the next programs they applied to are sort of in that top ten category. So Johnson, Tuck, Fuqua which is, yep. you know, obviously we've mentioned a few <laughs> times in this series, uh, in, in this edition, and, and Yale School of Management. So from that sort of top eight uh, onwards. And I think um, to to maximise their opportunity, uh, I mean, if they get into Harvard, that's fantastic, right? Boom, they're done. Mm-hmm. Um, if they get into Sloan, that might well be fantastic for them. But the question is, um, is Sloan a better fit for them than, let's say, a program like Wharton, right? So I think even if they get into if they if they get into Sloan in round one, um, they can celebrate that. But I would still encourage them in round two to target a couple more M7s, and that might be Wharton and Stanford if if they get into Sloan. If they don't get into Sloan and they get into Johnson and Tuck or Johnson or Tuck or, or whatever, I might still encourage them to target one or two M7s because at the end of the day, um, just from the, the limited insight we have into this candidacy, I think there's quite a lot to like, Graham. 
Yeah, I think one of the things is that it depends how strong that pull is for them to the Northeast and New England in terms of where they want to land, you know. And I, I guess, meaning you can land there from pretty much any top MBA program, but I wonder to what extent they're really wanting to even be there during business school. Um, cause that could be, maybe that's a factor. I, I don't know. Uh, it's interesting that they didn't, yeah, they didn't have Columbia or, or Wharton on the list. You know, they, they want to work in tech. I mean, you know, Wharton does really well on that. I think Columbia does too. And so, yeah, I was trying to figure out the school selection. I think you're right. They have this risk of sort of being, top heavy, like with, they have Harvard and Sloan, but also like, but maybe not, no, maybe not top heavy. That's might be the wrong word, but I guess I'm, what I'm getting at is that they only have two M7, like you said, right. And then they've got a bunch of others. And so, yeah, yeah they could end up, I mean, MIT, uh, while some might say, well, it's similar to Columbia and, and Kellogg and Booth in sort of the tier that it's in, their acceptance rate tends to be very low because they have a pretty small program too. Right. So, it's um so I could see them like sort of striking out potentially, even though I, I think they have a great profile and they may very well get into every school they apply to, but it's certainly possible. It's not out of the realm of like possibility that they wouldn't get into either of those. And then yeah. like you're saying, they'd be left wondering, well, wait, did I miss a whole chunk of schools that are sort of in between? Um, and so, yeah, that's something they have to think about. And I, I would agree with you, see where the chips fall in round one and then maybe throw in an application to a Wharton or Columbia or whoever it might be in, in the second round. But yeah, it's. Um, I don't know to what extent they visited and stuff too. Yeah, I think Colombia will be more challenging because they're not applying Agreed. early decision yeah. in Colombia. So they're going to have to explain why Colombia is such a brilliant fit when they didn't mm-hmm. even consider it for, for for their early decision. But I think Wharton in round two and another M7 makes a lot of sense. Um, and it goes also back to the point that, you know, let, let's just assume how they're not applying to Harvard because ultimately if they get into Harvard, Problem solved, absolutely fantastic. But we know Harvard is very, right. very difficult to get into. They might well get into it, but it's very, very difficult to get into. So let's just th- toss Harvard out and assume they only apply to Sloan as the M7 option, and then they, 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 they're basically going deep into that next tier, yeah. right, which is great. But to mitigate their, their sort of risk a little bit, they need to select more than just one M7, mm. right? Um, because for whatever reason, Sloan might not be whatever, but maybe they are still a great candidate for M7, so they get into a couple of other M7 other than Sloan. And we see this all the time on DecisionWire. Just because you get into one M7 does not mean to say that you're going to get into all four of that sort of tier of M7, right? (laughs) So you could get into Kellogg and Booth and get denied by Sloan and Columbia. Right. I mean, that's just the way the world works. Yeah. So spread the risk a little bit is my point, but also chuck in for, for, for Wharton. Yeah. I mean, MBA admissions is, you know, part science, but part art yeah. and probably part yeah. a little, there's a little bit of chaos too. It's like, you don't, you cannot, you know, accurately predict exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. So in any event, yeah, I think I would like to know, like, you know, you're talking about Harvard and whether they're going to get in there. I would like to know more about Mary and their software engineering lead, and they say with some leadership experience. Um, and so I don't, you know, yeah, so that's, that's a million dollar question is to what extent have they had that sort of leadership experience and how will that play in the applications? And yeah, we didn't get a lot of detail. I mean, their interests and hobbies center around outdoor activities. Are they just going hiking and running? Are they doing things for their community 
that relate yeah. to that stuff. Yeah. So yeah, there are a lot of like question marks that could either make or, you know, make them stronger or weaker at these very top yeah. schools on their list. So we shall see. Um, but yeah, I want to wish them the best of luck and hopefully they'll keep us posted. And again, they, we gave them some ideas for a round two strategy if things don't fall the way they want um, this in the first round. So we, we shall see. <laughs> um, let's move on though, Alex, and let's talk about wiretaps candidate number three. So this is our last one for the week, and this candidate's got 10 schools on the target list that they're looking to potentially, you know, matriculate in the fall, so 2023. Uh, the schools are Carnegie Mellon, Cornell, Duke, MIT, Kellogg, Stanford, Chicago, Wharton, USC, and Yale. And this person in their kind of pre-MBA career has been working in tech strategy and engineering. They're kind of on the fence, but they've got consulting and technology listed as post-MBA goals. In terms of the companies, though, my guess is they're thinking kind of a short-term consulting thing. So they have Bain, BCG, and McKinsey listed as the sort of short-term post-MBA target employers. Their GMAT score is a nearly off-the-charts 770. They've got a GPA of 3.6, four and a half years of work experience. This candidate is located in Australia and they have no preference as to where they land after business school with respect to geography. Um, they indicate that you know they mostly want to transition in the short term from these more technical projects um, and that, that kind of current role they're in to more of a sustainability strategy role. And they're thinking about either consulting or maybe what they call a resource sector company. Uh, so th that's kind of the basics. I mean, they... Um, indicate that for the schools on their list they're applying to thanks to waivers but they might consider those schools if they get a full tuition scholarship so you know there were some of the schools on the list that i guess are more top 16 or top 25 even uh and so they're yeah i guess they've applied to those programs because they got waivers so so it's a mix of schools here because they have 10 on the list but i don't know what you make of this alex i mean australia is kind of a small market for mba candidates so i'm assuming they're going to be in demand with these numbers i mean Graham, you, you repeat this bit of advice um, quite readily, on, again, on this podcast. Don't apply to a school that you wouldn't be happy to or thrilled to attend if you got admitted. And I, too, think this person falls into that bracket, because even if you get an application fee waiver, it still costs you time, effort and energy to, to put in these applications. And... Um, yeah, they're, they're going to get admitted to several of those programs with the fee waiver unless they completely, <laughs> you know, completely bastardize the essays or do something um, perverse. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I, th this is an M7 candidate. Again, from all that we've got of this candidate on apply wire, I mean, their numbers are superb, 7736. I'm assuming their work experience is, is strong um, and, and, and so forth. Um, I'm not sure we know a whole lot about their um, extracurriculars, but Australian no. folks tend to be nice people. People tend to like <laughs> the Aussies, so that's all, always going to play well for them. Um, like you say, they're going to be underrepresented from a geographic standpoint, so they have the opposite issue to a candidate from India, for example, um, and, and so forth. There's just a lot, a lot to like here. Um, and, um, you know, I, I think, um, yeah, they, I mean, in my notes, Graham, I just wrote seven seventy three six four five Australia round one, 
bam, M7. I didn't even remember all the detail of the, <laughs> the thing. I mean, they've got a, they say they've got a lot of club involvement through um, university too. I mean, we had a, we had a student at, at Wharton. I don't know if he was in your class or, or other, you know, another class because I was there for seven years in admissions called Cam. Mm-hmm. I won't go into the rest of the detail of his name, but he was an Australian mm-hmm. dude. But he completely stood out and he ended up running whatever the student club was called, did he, whatever it was. He was a student leader for the whole school mm-hmm. um, and, and so forth. Uh, this is going to be a sort of after candidate, Graham, no doubt in my mind. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, you know, coming from Australia with those kind of numbers, yeah, it's sort of a walk in the park. Um, the only thing that I would say is that, yeah, we don't know much about outside activity, so it would be good to have a better understanding of that. And only, the only reason I ask is because, you know, they have Stanford on their list. Um, they've got Wharton on their list. And those are programs where, you know, people with great numbers are easy to come by. And so sometimes you do need a little extra. Um, but I do think they're going to get into some of these schools on the list. Yeah. I could not agree with you more. Don't apply somewhere you're not going to be thrilled to go. And so I would pose the question to you. Let's say they get into one of these schools that gave them an application waiver that's sort of a top 20 school, but not an M7. Uh, full tuition, you know, special scholarship, whatever, but then they also Don't get in. Do it. Don't <laughs> do it. So, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, yeah. again, living the, the Wharton experience, just from an AgCom perspective, but hanging out with the Wharton, I mean, just the opportunities, the network, the people you meet, the, the classrooms you attend, it's absolutely, it's, it's on a different scale. Yeah. Or, I mean, yeah, fair enough, I didn't, serve as an adcom at, at, at a top 20 program right so i can't explicitly say it was different because i wasn't at the other place but i mean just the fantastic opportunities the m7 would provide uh, 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 i mean crazy good if you're someone that really does engage i'm also i did sort of review one of their responses and i do think they're actually pretty active in their extracurriculars oh, okay I mean, good. they do some work for indigenous populations mentoring high school indigenous um high school students and oh yeah that's um, in the comments and, and so okay. on and so forth I saw that. yeah so there is there is some there is some other of uh, this other stuff right so it's yeah it's this is a candidate that shouldn't be distracted by application fee waivers i guess is my point yeah okay fair enough so yeah it sounds like they have the full package they're going to get into an m7 school and then you know yeah hopefully they'll also get some scholarship dollars because there's money being given yeah. out anyway it's not like they wouldn't get any yeah um so we we yeah. shall see. Yeah, I think um, I did note they don't have Harvard on their list for one reason or another. So I don't know if they commented. Well, on Well, maybe they should. Yeah, that they is got the Stanford, one. so that's good. Yeah, and they have Wharton and, and others in the in the M seven. So yeah, I, yeah, that's yeah. an interesting omission. Maybe they're you know wh- whatever they might have their reasons, but but again, that's my point. They're probably spending all this time <laughs> on you know the the top sixteen twenty app fee waiver stuff where they really should focus long and hard on M seven because yeah. by readjusting that focus, those applications will be better. Yeah, agreed. All right, so I want to thank them for submitting their profile and for, um, I had missed that comment they left where they explained their outside activities, to, so we have a yeah. full picture, uh, but I want to thank them for submitting. Hopefully they'll keep us posted, and yeah, hopefully some of this advice is useful as they travel through <laughs> the process, um, but Alex, thanks for picking these candidates out, as always, and yeah, we'll come back next week and do it all again. Um, this is the, you know such a fun time of year as people are going to start to get interview invitations and, and things really heat up on the site and the comments and people earning their likes and getting stars on the site all that stuff i love so uh yeah stay tuned and yeah thanks again alex (laughs) very good take care everyone stay safe